Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. What's up, everybody? I'm going to talk about returns, and not just returns, but the importance of some return figures, calculations, why I like them, and others, and why I don't. This is really, really important because, first of all, returns and the way they're presented can be very skewed, and it can also be very skewed on how they got them. And this is something I learned later on as there's so many ways to have different investment strategies, and there are so many ways to get the overall return on your capital. But all of the different avenues, paths, and strategies are not equal. And as a investor, entrepreneur, or someone that is investing into deals with other people, this is probably the most important thing to know. Not just the returns, but how do you get them? So I often ask people, let's say, well, when investing in this, I can get an X return, right? I'm going to get a 15% uh, internal rate of return. Uh, the first thing I usually ask is, where does that return come from? Now, the response is almost always, well, the business or the asset. And I say, what does that mean to you? And they say, well, that, uh, that means that the asset or the business is making money and it pays me. Um, 90% of the time, that's wrong. That's not even right. And I find that very, very few investors, maybe two or three out of 10, would even know to ask this. So what I wanted to go through and talk about today are some of these numbers and my way that I look at it. I'm not saying it's the right way. It's the right way for me, and I'll explain why. And I think it's a way that you should know, ask, and talk about. Um, uh, now, there's a lot of important metrics when we look at investing. A lot of them. We don't, first of all and foremost, we do not use just one. That's ridiculous. Okay, So we are looking at a handful of metrics that are telling us about key things that are going on within our asset, within our portfolio, uh, within the cash flow. Um, and those things give us a well-rounded idea of the overall investment, its performance, and should paint a picture into what has happened and what needs to happen. But with that said, there is one metric that rules all others. And for me, that metric is cash on cash yearly average return without any capital event. That means without including a refinance, without including a sell of the asset. Um, so really, truly cash on cash yearly average. Now, some people may ask, okay, why do you have it on a yearly average? And what does that mean on a yearly average? Now, for me, what I'm looking at is over a period of time because returns do not, for 
many assets, but particularly alternative assets are not just straight line returns, right? These are actual operating businesses to some extent, and the returns are predicated on the net income. The net income changes over time, obviously due to revenue and expenses. Now, the more um, things going on in asset, the more complex that it gets over a longer period of time due to the nature that you have expenses that result into returns. And that is obviously not configured and looked at in a given year. So I want to look at the whole picture, the whole life cycle of that asset. And then I want to average out my cash on cash returns um, that is coming purely from that net income. And that's the key. So this takes out a sell, this takes out refinancing. Now, the reason why I want to look at it this way, the reason I like this metric is because this shows me how efficient the operator is and how well organically this asset is doing. Now, a lot of people in bull markets get bailed out. People are bailed out due to the market, meaning that a lot of people don't understand this, but you can have an asset that revenue does not change at all, yet you can deliver very high returns. We saw this over the last 10 years where assets that had uh, virtually no increase in revenue was worth twice as much as they were previously. Now, why does this happen? This happens due to investor demand, not anything to do with the core demand of the customers, the ability to efficiently and proficiently run the asset, and the overall increasing of the revenue. What happens is you have things like value and commercial real estate, like a cap rate. So you say, all right, well, you know, 10 years ago, the going cap rate for this asset was a, you know, eight cap. And a cap rate, to keep things simple, everybody, is just a number that equivalates a return without financing. So uh, let me make this very, very simple. If I have a million dollar asset and it makes me net $100,000 uh, a year, and so $100,000 a year, and I'm going to pay a million dollars for that asset, that's a 10 cap because I'm getting a 10% return. 88, an eight cap on the same uh, million dollars would be 80,000 return. So just keep it very simple. We don't need to dive in too much to that. But you can see then how when I say, if I'm making $100,000 at a 10 cap, that is worth a million dollars. At a five cap, that is worth $2 million. Now, if that investor or that owner of that facility put 300,000 into that, that means in the same that in that 10 year period, the 10 cap to a five cap, his $300,000 turned into a million dollars. Yet the returns did not change at all. Think about that. They 3x'd their money even though the returns didn't change. Nothing happened. This is where people need to understand, and I think people can get really, really confused. The reason why I don't like this is due to the fact that that is market-driven 
out of your control, may not have anything to do at all with the asset. So that's kind of luck, right? Um, now people may say I'm buying low and selling high. That's fine, but that is outside impacts affecting valuations that have nothing to do with you or the asset. Um, because it has nothing to do with you or the asset, you are purely at the mercy of someone buying it higher. That's not investing. That's gambling. And when you look at that, it's not that it doesn't work. It's not, not that that's not real returns. But as an investor, if you invested into that and you invested $100,000 and you got 3x times your money and you're like, this is amazing, then you go out and you invest in with them again and the opposite happens, cap rates go up like what we're seeing right now. Now your money is losing value. Now, let's say it's also a debt play where you're using financing, but the financing world changes, interest rates change, right? You have the, you don't have the ability to take out more debt. Um, there's all of those options, which are outside options that affect a refinance to get those returns are predicated on things that you don't have control over. So when I'm looking at my cash on cash yearly and I'm taking outside impacts to the asset off, I'm looking at the actual value of that asset going up. Because if we can achieve that, then whatever happens on the outside of the world, first of all, our cash flow and our margins getting bigger. So the core value, the intrinsic value of the asset, meaning it's true producing capabilities compared to the money invested is rising. So whether cap rates go up or down, right? That's um, not important because we're not worrying about the sell. But if it came time to sell, and now you're selling something at a five cap, right? So once again, we you bought it. It makes a you bought it at a five cap. It makes fifty thousand dollars. You spent a million dollars. Then you got it to go that revenue to go to a hundred and fifty thousand. You just three xed, right? Your investment and the cap rate didn't need to change. Now apply that to, let's say, if you bought it at a 10 cap at $100,000 for a million, then the cap rate goes to a five cap, but you've got it to, up to $200,000. That's a double hit, and it can really, really make those returns go up. I want to play with this and, and kind of walk you guys through some of these things because it comes down to talk about our returns and what's always been important to us. So my background is cash-based businesses and we are value investors. Um, this also means that we don't do quick hits and quick returns. We're looking for fundamental improvements, right? Organic, real improvements to our businesses. Um, that means we have a sliding scale in returns, right? First years, we're doing improvements operationally, um, physically, and we're investing money into it um, to get higher yields uh, moving forward. Now, to show you how this looks, yearly average cash-on-cash -cash returns, that excludes selling and refinancing for my company, is 22% on average, 22%. Cash-on-cash uh, -cash re return excluding outside things. Uh, total cumulative cash-on-cash um, -cash return, that's including a refinance. Um, we're looking at over 430%, which would lead a total return, meaning if we were to sell, things like that, over 800%. Uh, uh, 
even being conservative. Now, when I look at those, the 400 and the big numbers, like those get really big and those things can make you feel really good about yourself. The total return, wow, that's amazing. But at the end of the day, I'm like, that really just doesn't mean a lot to me unless that was actually exercised and you sold the asset, right? And that is, because that is predicated on other markets, I wanna focus on that cash on cash return. I know then that the return that I'm getting is being received from higher revenue from the asset. And I generally then want to see some other metrics. I care a lot more about performance on revenue than I do expenses. Why? There is a limit to how much you can lower expenses. And expenses also have outside influences that may happen. Things may break, you may have, so they can go up and down. Now, you can be prudent and lower your expenses, but as a way to drive value, I hate that. And I know there's a lot of people that that's their business model. I don't, I'm not saying anything against it. That's your business model. My business model is not that. It is almost solely focused on revenue. So we are looking to maximize yield and do everything we can to do that. So we're buying outside businesses. We're using technology, right, to affect that yield. So then I'm really looking for on our assets, the overall growth in gross revenue um, and how sustainable that is and how we can project that out. So a typical returns, if you were looking at any of our assets, which I have a few here, um, it, it goes uh, kind of all over the board on your cash on cash uh, returns. This can happen for a, f- a whole bunch of reasons, meaning, uh, you know, we had one where year one, we got a 2.8% return. Year two, we got 11.39% cash on cash return. Year three, we got a 54% return. Year four, we got a 16% return. What happened? So we bought, year one, we bought it. Probably most of that return came from cleaning up the asset. We were charging some higher rates probably, right? Um, And we got rid of delinquencies and made sure fees were being collected. That was probably most of that bump on year from year one to year two. Uh, year three, we have this huge return, which is 54%. Well, that was due to a sell of a um, lease agreement on a cell tower within that property. Now, that is a non-reoccurring capital event. So that can also skew, obviously, those numbers in the property. So I need to be looking and taking that out. And then you need to, we need to average it out. Um, if you look at our other properties we have, we have a, some a lot bigger work. So let me share with you an example, which I've got all our numbers here printed off, which includes some big hefty work, but also big returns. This is a seven-year phase. Year one was a 2.75% return. Year two was an 8.6% return. Year three was a 29% return, almost exclusively operational. So no major capital expenditures at all. So by year three, we were averaging 30% yearly cash on cash return purely from operations. Now, year four, things change. Negative 10, year five, negative three. Well, what happened? In this asset, we expanded it. So in year four and five, we were actually under construction. We were building, we were um, expanding the asset, we were tearing down the office, improving it. We did heavy lifting. Well, after that got done, year six, 
we got to a 40% cash on cash. So in seven years, our total cash on cash, or excuse me, in year seven, our cash on cash was 323%. Now, cumulative cash on cash turned out to be, you know, whatever that was, 400 and something. Our total return percentage was like over 900,000. But when we were looking at this, at this asset, as we went, there's multiple things going on that has to take place within that time frame. So when I'm looking at it, the expenses occurred in year three and four were incurred to drive revenue growth um, and uh, very specialized to what, what we were doing and trying to achieve. So we obviously forfeit returns and we build into those, those assets. Now, we have other assets that don't work anything like um, uh, these are just more straight line returns, right? It's just more year over year increasing that asset, doing different things. The overall returns may not even be that stellar. Um, we're our worst performing one that we had was a site we coined it Nampa, but the reason why is it needed an expansion. We couldn't get that expansion for years. So the returns looked like 2% year one, 4% year three, 6%, then year uh, three, year four, 10%, five, nine, then negative. But then by year eight, we were at 195%. So by year eight, our cumulative cash on cash was 242%. But by year four, we had only hit 20%. So why why is this important and why do you look at it? It's because snapshots, yearly snapshots, right, can be very deceiving. And it, you can be very deceiving on what the actual business plan is, what we're trying to achieve. And in some of these instances, like year four, you're like, oh, this is a 20% cumulative return right? This isn't very good. Three years later, it was 300 plus percent. And then all of a sudden, your average annual um, return on that is sky high. So when we look at this, when you're looking at any investable asset, you want to make sure that you're taking into account what is going to happen, how it's going to happen, and what the cost of that will be. Now, a lot of people look at it as just, I'm going to buy an asset and it will make more and do better over time. Buy, hold. I am a buy and hold investor. All these numbers that I just said, every one of these facilities, none of those did we sell. None of them. So when you look at this, we're, we are buy and hold. We will sell when it, we get into a problem, which is another key metric that I'm going to talk about. Um, but those numbers represent buy and hold strategies but I'm not a buy and hold and pray that the market makes it better kind of guy. I really care about operations and how operations will affect assets. So when we're buying it, it shouldn't be the market will make it better. It's what can we do to increase that value and that revenue. And then it should be in a good location that over time, yes, the market does make it worth more and there's more demand, but we're not planning on that. So because we're not planning on that, and we find our acquisition targets predicated on what we can do to the revenue, from there, right, we're looking at the metrics that align with our strategy. 
And that those metrics are really, really important to us. So although we could say, yes, we have these huge cumulative or total return numbers that we're looking at, I'm really focusing once again on annual cash on cash return, excluding refis and sales, because that can really skew the individual performance of the assets. It can very much skew um, what we did that was good and what we did that was bad. Now, one of the numbers in when we're talking about why I would sell or when I think about selling, first of all, I do sell. We have before, I will in the future. And the number that really dictates on whether I'm going to sell or not is a two-sided coin. The first side is my equity to um, income ratio. So we have currently some assets that the equity is so disproportionate to our return that we're making that you look at it and say, because we can get offered such a high price in the market that is so not aligned with what we're getting in income, it's, you know, you're talking 20 years plus of income, all that. All of a sudden, what happens is the equity that is sitting in that asset is very poorly used. So my, in, my rate of return on that equity is really bad. We don't want that. So we supplement that on the other side of the coin with the refinance. But you can get into periods of times where refinancing isn't very good. So all of a sudden now I can't capture that equity. And so I can't capture it. My equity to income is really bad. But if I sold it, I could capture it. Then I'm going to sell it. Another reason why I'm going to sell it is because I have that use, once again, of that equity on my system saying, if I get an average annual cash on cash, right, of 20%, obviously not in the first years, we do this buildup. So first years are almost always slim, but then it goes up and it builds up. But the point of the matter is if I can achieve something like a 10 to 20%, but yet I have, you know, $10 million in an asset. And after we, in value, marketable value, because I know that that thing would sell at 200 bucks a square foot. And all of a sudden we're looking at that asset going, it's worth 10 million bucks, but at the end of the day, we're making two, 300,000 on it. And our debt is really low. So maybe we have 6 million in equity. You're going, I'm making three, 400,000, whatever that is, 500,000, right? Like it, all of a sudden you're going, what should I be? Is this a good use of this when I can be getting a 10 to 20% return on that six or 7 million elsewhere? All of a sudden that doesn't make any sense. So we have that vehicle to apply it, um, which we don't like to use for a couple reasons. The first reason is we have to pay taxes. We also have to recoup depreciation. So I'm not looking at the aggregate equity I'm looking at the net and what happens. Another advantage that I have is because I'm actively buying properties is if I did sell it, I will offset it with depreciation somewhere. So the net number is really obviously important to look at. When we're looking at that and we look at the refinance side, the other side of that coin, and there aren't great options, then all of a sudden we need to sell. I need to get that money and I need to get back working at multitudes higher than it currently is 
because the outset, usually on those assets, what has happened is we've done all that value add, right? So we've driven up those uh, prices and we've stabilized that asset. We're on the top of the the, the market. So we will have a, uh, uh, a very inverse effect on our revenue rising in the let's say previous or the next five years that the previous did so revenue we may have been able to double in the previous five years we will not be able to do that then what that means is i'm taking now those that equity out that i'm getting a very very low return on i can't refinance to pull it out which is great because if i can then i get that tax free so it's a big piece of our strategy but sometimes it just doesn't make sense and it's totally inverse so i take that equity out then I replace it, I get the upside on the next five years on the next asset. This is called velocity of money. In the you know, when you're investing, velocity of money, I'm looking at the capital and how much that capital is exchanging. It's moving, it's moving, it's moving. So I think a lot of people, when you look at your overall returns, whether you're investing with somebody else, investing by yourself, we have so many things that we are trying to understand and trying to look at, and everybody swears by different numbers. I would say to look at all the numbers and everything, but go back to the core fundamentals. Meaning on this asset, what will the revenue do? What can it do, right? And what kind of cash on cash return does that deliver compared to the money that I put in over the long, long run? If you have, if you're investing with somebody where their returns are predicated on a sell of the asset, then you really have to ask yourself, what are you building in in your spreadsheet to the sell? Is that even reasonable? Because the difference of a four cap and a six cap is probably all or even more of the return that was even put in. So if you can't get that now, there is no return. That's what you don't want to be in the place of. You don't want to put yourself in a position where the performance of the asset and the returns are predicated on a future event that is unknown and not in your control. Because you don't know if you're going to get them. I've seen so many people be burned by this. I'm seeing it. They're being burned right now by this, where as the cost of debt went up, values started to drop you are no longer able to sell like you were and that's where all the returns had been built in that's a game of hot potato i want to be in a position where i'm getting great cash flow and a great return on my income and then when the time comes that everybody wants to buy and people are driving prices down to crazy that somebody will pay me a crazy price if not i don't need it and then I can refinance in the best time and I can pull out my capital tax free, right? I want to have options. You have options if you've improved the core fundamentals of the asset. Then you have options and you can wait and it's okay to wait because your money is working for you very efficiently. And that's the key. All right, everybody. I hope this helps. Kind of an inside look when I'm looking at our numbers, what I'm thinking about, when I'm looking at my own capital that's invested because all my capital is invested. Uh, you know, I, I, we're obviously very active out of our portfolio. Over 60% of all the capital in it is our own. And we've been able to turn over our capital to take our money out ref, uh, through the refis, redeploy it, and do it over and over again, which has a tremendous compounding effect. So 
Hope this was helpful. Guys, make sure you follow us on social media, including go to check out the YouTube account. Uh, we have a self-storage income YouTube account, which we actually break down a lot of data and information on our investing. You can check that out as well. Thanks, everybody.